Welcome back to Presentation Thinking, a podcast, a storyteller study club. I'm your co-host, Mikey Maduski, a uh, founder, CEO of a company called Ghost Ranch Communications. We design presentations and help people tell stories, visual stories. That's what we do. And I am joined by my co-host, Molly Gagan, out of somewhere in Colorado on the Front Range. (laughs) Molly, what's going on? Hello. Yeah, I'm also the co-host. I'm the other co-host. Exactly. Content and community manager of Presentation Thinking, our humble corner of the internet where we are obsessing over the shapes of stories, how they can work for us, why we love them, et cetera, et cetera. And we're really in it for this episode in particular, Mikey. Why? Because what are we doing today? We're reading part two, the second plot of seven plots as defined by Christopher Booker, Some years ago, a guy who spent three decades, as he says, writing this book, he must have been reading a lot of books. He wrote a book called The Seven Basic Plots, Why We Tell Stories. And Molly, we are kicking off an episode to dive into each plot. And this is number two, Rags to Riches. Mikey's holding up the book and I just want to say it is a Bible, people. This is like a storytelling Bible. Lots of writers, we said this in part one of the series, but lots of writers and artists forever basically have tried to figure out is there a pattern to stories is there a shape can they all fit into a certain number of categories and a lot of people love this one in particular published in 2004 sorry yeah he died in 2019 published in 2004 and as as a guide for writers and people working on any creative project really it's a useful tool to kind of figure out what your what your piece aligns with uh, story-wise. So yep. rags to riches, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Everyone knows Cinderella right. story is a classic structure. And Mikey, you read the chapter um, of the, sure. from the Bible and I read the spark notes. So I just want to go ahead and disclaim that. So what did you take away? What was it? Let me, let yeah. me interview you about what you thought about this. Uh-huh. Tell me. Uh, yeah. So I, I like how he says it, you know, it, it is so universal. We see an ordinary insignificant person dismissed by everybody in this early stage. A lot of times it starts in their childhood to establish the fact that they're an orphan, they're down and out, and no one is giving them a whole lot of credit or attention or anything. And, you know, they're dismissed as poor, dirty, like worthless, whatever it is. It's it's pretty sad. Mm-hmm. And there's often, uh, as, as Christopher, you know, writes and acknowledges there's often like these dark figures in their life. So if you think about Cinderella, those stepsisters, the stepmother were those dark figures who are kind of dicks and, you know, are like <laughs> kind of jerky to poor Cinderella. Uh, and this is pretty central in a lot of them. Like you think about Aladdin, he's getting a lot of heat from the townspeople. They call him like street rat and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty ugly. And what, yeah. you know, and, and I think Booker, psychologically, he says, it starts very similarly actually to the overcoming the monster, the first plot, because you do psychologically need to paint actually a positive picture of this hero. And you can do so by actually shining a light on the fact that there are these contrasting figures to them who are inherently pretty evil and kind of, kind of gross. And so in, you know, in contrast to them, we see actually this, this person, you know, little Clark Kent or the ugly duckling, you know, like these under, appreciated people like have something good about them. And that's what draws us in early, right? Like Molly, like Mm -hmm. that's why we start to care about them because we see actually this, I kind of like this guy or gal. Yeah. 
Totally. Yeah. You have to also be able to relate to them a little bit too, where you're like, Oh man, I've been like told no, or like told, you know, I've, I've been called a street rat out and about, you know, <laughs> um, adult podcast talking about fairy tales. Those guys were dicks. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. There has to be some element of, yeah, just like everyday struggle that to relate to. I'm thinking of another Disney example that our, our lovely Tamara and Asha are putting together for, Ghost Ranch social media for this exact seven basic plots uh, campaign, and that is Ratatouille, which is oh. one of my favorite Disney movies. And I remember reading something about, I think it was actually through Matthew Lunn a pre- in a mm-hmm. previous episode, talking about as one of the Pixar animators on this. And they said, what kind of, what what is a better underdog story than that of a rat? You know, no one really cheers for rats, you know? And so, especially a rat going into a kitchen, a place where he's not supposed to be, mm-hmm. that's an ultimate rags to riches story. And I'm thinking of also, you know, I'm just maybe drawn to these. I love Stuart Little, Fifel Goes West, you know, the sad mouse. And maybe there is something to that about animators being like, we can make, we can make you guys cheer for a mouse. If you can cheer for a mouse, you can cheer for any underdog. <laughs> that's well done. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And yeah. he's so sweet. Like he's got a passion and a dream. And a lot of times that dream, it seems like it's always just like squashed by these, the doubters. Right. And, yeah, and I think figures. maybe that's why this is so relatable. A lot of us feel misunderstood or like, ah, they just don't get it. Like, uh, they don't see this thing in me that I feel. And that's, that's why we love these stories and they're universal. Booker talks about Cinderella being in well over 2000 different versions from every corner of Europe, through Africa, Asia, even the right. indigenous people of North America had some version, you know, of that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, okay. So what happens, we get the initial like environment that they're living in and sure. the dark figures, maybe that are holding them back in their life and they want to do something. Maybe they've got a dream or a project or they want to get out of their current home and or environment. Yeah. And then what happens? Okay. What's next? Yeah. So they're going to get some kind of a call, right? And Find a little early success. I think not just so. A phone call. No, not a not a phone call. A, a call to do something great, or maybe a magical gift. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. Cinderella. What does she get when she's down and out? She just got her her beautiful dress all torn up, mm-hmm. ashes thrown on her. Maybe a pen spill. Whatever. These nasty sisters just, just <laughs> yeah. took her down as she was about to go to the ball. She starts crying, and then what? The fairy godmother shows up. So we get a good figure that comes in and doesn't always have to be a person. Sometimes it's maybe a lucky break or like a lottery ticket, I think can arrive mm-hmm. in a lot of these plots, that kind of thing, metaphorical or literal. And then that, that person or figure takes them out of the world and then the hero, you know, your, your mouse, uh, enjoys initial success, gets a taste of higher status maybe meets a love interest, right? That's sometimes mm. some, uh, a trope yeah. that comes in at this totally. stage. And that's, and they start seeing like a contrast from their previous world. I was thinking mm-hmm. when we were talking about this too, Mikey, I think sometimes this taste of the, of the new world can also come with its own dark figures, you know, where I'm thinking of those old <laughs> Disney channel movies where someone meets their big hero or their big celebrity crush and it turns out they might also, yeah, they might be a, also be a jerk or there's something bad going on behind the scenes. Maybe they can't actually sing or whatever it is. Yeah. And so I think there's kind of this funny little back and forth, back and forth where like the promised land isn't quite as perfect as. Sure. That's a really good, good look. Yeah. They have that initial success in the world traction. Thanks to this transformation, 
initially, whether that's a fairy godmother, you rubbed a lamp, you got lucky. <laughs> uh, I just watched King Richard, you know, the story of Venus Williams and, and Serena and, and their their father, you know, yeah. kind of bringing them up out of Compton, South Central, whatever, and into the people that we know them to be, right? And it's a gnarly, it's, it's an intense story and yeah. a lot of ups and downs. There was this initial success when they finally, you know, Venus kind of gets going in the, like the junior circuit start, starts competing and just like cleaning up. Right. And then you get to this like central crisis where suddenly things change again. And the story is now sort of divided in, in half. Uh, because as you said, the, the plot thickens, maybe once you get to that happy place, maybe it's not so happy, or maybe there's a new challenge or the dark figure is back and, and actually more formidable than ever. And, and maybe now they're paying attention to this person. They're a little bit pissed off that, Hey, who's this chick at the ball? You know, like, you know, this is supposed to be my dance with the, with the prince or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and so then that central crisis, I really like what, what Booker reveals about Aladdin. And he also talked about like Jane Eyre, which I haven't read. Uh, maybe you, you have, but it's like these stories where actually Aladdin, he runs out of wishes, right? Just as the dark figure gets even more powerful, like Jafar becomes that, that big red mm-hmm. bad genie. Right. And he's about to just wipe everything out and, and, mm-hmm. and take over the kingdom. And it's co- It's so cool because now Aladdin's like, it, it feels like it's the end, right? He's, he doesn't have, there's no way he can overcome this powerful genie. Yeah, um, penultimate crisis. Exactly. But this is where we really root for the hero because look, we knew it all along. It's not about these wishes, man. You have this like intelligence inside of you, Aladdin. You've outwitted, you came up on the streets. You didn't only feed you and your monkey. You fed these kids, you know, because you, you're crafty. <laughs> and so anyway, we're like, that's where yes. we're like, oh, that's where we really root for them because they have to actually mature into the selves that they were destined to be without these tricks, without, without these like magical tools, they have to do it by themselves. Right. Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was like a great little like pep talk. I feel like Thanks. Mikey, getting through well, Aladdin. Hey. <laughs> How often do you watch Aladdin with your two girls? <laughs> pretty, pretty routine. Uh, and then, okay. So then there's a final ordeal, mm-hmm. which sort of finally, you know, wins them. They win that independence. They're like, this is who I was meant to be final union, whether that's with their, that love interest that they had met earlier, um, whatever it is, there's some completion and fulfillment, the end, they live happily ever after. And then that's kind of when, you know, the hero goes on to that. That's the thing where we're satisfied because there's this, what is that rise, uh, rise, fall, rise structure in the story. And we're like, okay, like if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. And that's a really satisfying ending. The loops are closed. And we can go off into our world, right? Yeah. Having learned another beautiful <laughs> underdog story. And yeah. I just want to say how well this works psychologically because Mikey mentioned the movie King Richard. And I want to just uh, plug what he did uh, in action after that movie. What did you do, Mikey? <laughs> did I sign my four-year-old up for, for tennis? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe, yeah. maybe She's not, left-handed. But... I mean, I'm, sen- I'm smelling a scholarship. Um, yes, yeah, yes. this is an investment. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, like, but no, it yeah, was like an inspiring real life implications. movie. Yeah, yeah, that's inspiring. I, right? I honestly, I looked away from all the, the Will Smith stuff. I was like, I don't care now. You know, that was, <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you said, quote, uh, I forgive him. <laughs> I forgive him. Yeah, yeah. Forgive you um, oh my gosh. Yeah, so there's a, there's other movies that rile me up. I, I don't, yeah. is Hamilton, I guess, you know, is that 
Rags to Riches. Alexander Hamilton. As, um, as yeah. Lynn Manuel, you know, crafted it. I would say so. And like, he has such an interesting background, right? Of like, I remember seeing that musical and being like, wait, I don't know anything about this American Revolution history <laughs> because there's so much comp- like uh, yeah. nuance and, and com- complications. Not to mention the, you know, the inherent colonialism of it all. But, you know, these yeah. people, these characters were, uh, yeah, came from such different backgrounds and with different approaches to, yeah, start this country, uh, like governing in different ways. And I think, um, I forget exactly which, but this from some, some island in the Caribbean is where uh, Hamilton's from. And so I think there's definitely an underdog or we root for this person that's got the kind of, I think something associated with the rags to riches and underdog story is someone that has a new idea or a new, or a Mm. desire to do something different than the current status quo. And that's met with some sort of dark, dark figure thing where it's like, no, you're supposed to stay in your place. You're supposed to do this. There's no, don't rewrite it. You know? Right. Like Thomas Jefferson comes back. It's like, dude, no, Mm -hmm. we don't do it like that. Yeah. There's Um, a really famous song in high school musical classic, you know, called stick to the status quo, which, you know, I could sing for you. Maybe we'll just piped it in. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Molly, yeah. Uh, what about... I was also thinking about like Annie, you know, oh, yeah. uh, obviously that it. that's kind of a great come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. O- often starts as, she, as an orphan. She literally know? sings about the hard knock life, right? And then, yeah. and then another song is, I think I'm going to like it here when she's going through Daddy Warbucks's uh-huh. rich, nice hotel, right? Yeah. Isn't that way they run? What does she run into though? Like what, I don't remember the central crisis of that one where does she kind of come back to earth? Well, Miss Hannigan, you know, mm. I, I have curly hair, you guys. And I had a dog that was kind of light color brown. And so I fancied myself Annie's. This is a perfect example of me relating to the, the humble hero. And so I've seen it, you know, a couple dozen times and Annie runs into Miss Hannigan, who is the villainous orphanage runner person that runs it, posing as a nice parent that wants to come adopt her. So she Mm. runs into this thing of like back and forth of trying to escape this person that's um, wanting control over her and definitely someone that's pointing and saying, you're you're just an orphan and you don't belong in this rich world and you don't deserve this kind of love or whatever. And of course, Daddy Warbucks is that like good figure mm-hmm. truly a uh, literal riches in that in that sense where it's he's he's a wealthy man who brings her into this nice new york life yeah it's so uh, she faces yeah she faces those those demons um what's it well yeah what's one of your favorites as i was going through this yeah. i yeah obviously the ratatouille is good i was <laughs> thinking of some like celebrity stories i know like I think it's common knowledge that J.K. Rowling started writing Harry Potter when she wasn't very well off. Like, and I think that as the story goes, she was just using napkins to write down little notes in cafes when she could, and then slowly put together like a manuscript. But this was in like Edinburgh, especially because Edinburgh in the like I think late eighties, early nineties mm. was kind of a little rougher too in Scotland, mm. mm-hmm. and so she was just Seems making fine. her way and ended up writing Harry Potter. For sure, yeah, I love. I mean. The movie Rudy, like I think a lot, there's a mm. lot of sports stories that that revolve around uh, mm. the come up and the underdog story. Every the March Sandlot. Madness, The Sandlot, yeah, yeah. Um, that is just all time top three movie. I love that movie. I love. Uh, we're cheering like yeah. for the yeah for Smalls man, totally. and uh, it's endearing. Slumdog Millionaire. I was reflecting on that as well. I haven't seen it in a while, but I just remember. I think that was a really good use of storytelling. How they you know they weave his story throughout. So that we start to like go back and each answer he's like hearkening mm-hmm. back on. 
some insight that like gets him to the answer. And it's so cool. And I, I think that was like, in a way, a good version of that. Hey, he didn't have some special power. He got a chance to be on this mm-hmm. stage and now he's using the, what was in him all along and these insights from his life mm-hmm. to get to that next level. And that there's even the, you know, that antagonist, like the the game show host just starts to like turn things up and try to like deceive him. Um, I'm remembering what that plot is. And for listeners that aren't as familiar, this is a perfect, another literal example where this person is on a, how to become a millionaire show where he's asked just rant like trivia and in live time, we're given these flashbacks to his childhood and past of which was very rough and mm-hmm. um, not as not as wealthy. So it's a good opportunity where it's like, yeah, you're obviously rooting for this person because you want them to win a million dollars on live television. But then you but then you're seeing this past story. So it's a cool structure to actually put the rags to riches underdog story. Yeah. Would you say I would you say rags to riches and underdog are almost a full overlap? Or do you think there's any separation of the Venn diagram? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Riches, I think you pointed out the fact that it doesn't have to lead to just wealth, money, money. whatever, right? It could just be some some unforeseen su- success. some success, however you define it. It's a good question. I don't know. I think because, I mean, looking at Christopher Booker's seven plots, I don't think there's another separate underdog plot, right? Yeah. And so I think this actually, either whether the underdog fits into rags to riches or rags to riches fits into underdog, I think there's enough overlap that they at least in this structure given by uh, Christopher, that I think they're one and the same. And I think it does, we were talking about this earlier, but there's kind of a psychological thing that happens when you're cheering for the underdog. And you brought up March Madness, Mikey, but you know how like, yeah, I love sports so much, so I know this, but in with football teams, baseball teams that are constantly winning and getting all the trophies <laughs> that people tend to start hating on them. Right. Like people yeah. cheer for the underdog, the one that it's like whoever's playing the Yankees or whatever, like whoever's playing this, this team is who I'm cheering for because people like the upset. And I think there's like some psychological phenomenon that goes on with that in which you're cheering for the underdog. Right. I mean, we, we root for characters we can relate to. And I think a lot of us, most people aren't in that 1%, right? And if it's like, yeah, we don't, we want to see some transformation and because mm-hmm. if we see someone has has broken through, I think it gives us hope mm-hmm. that that it can yeah. happen to, to us as well. Mikey, what is this thing called dark mode that okay, yeah. Booker talks so, about? Yeah, there's a version of Rags to Riches. He's got just a little line about that he calls the dark version where it, it has every appearance of a, if it looking like a, a Rags to Riches story, and then it ends in a little bit. Of, they get a little carried away, maybe a little greedy, whatever. I, to me, I I think of like Blow, Scarface, basically any great drug lord movie like Narcos. <laughs> yeah. You know the Escobar story. Breaking Bad, maybe it kind of does too. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's it, that is a nuanced and more complex story. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think it's still rags to riches, but it's just yeah, a more tragic ending, right? And and it's a lesson as well. Yeah, and when we think of some other writings, we talked about this in the in the previous part, but there was another study done after years after the Kurt Vonnegut thesis was submitted to the University of Chicago about the common shape of stories that researchers plugged. I think a couple thousand stories into a computer and they fall, they found like the fall, rise, fall, rise, fall, uh, rise, rise, fall, those kind of structures for stories. And I think the dark mode is a fall, rise, fall, where you start low 
you get a taste of the high life, yeah. but it ultimately is your demise, like the heroes, the hubris. And I think that's such an Icarus. That's the Icarus story. Totally, right? I'm thinking of like Wolf of Wall Street, where like it's this villain that we're kind of cheering for, but yeah. he's absolutely like a bad person in the end, like decide like ultimately to his de- defeat, you know, continues on in this like very deceiving, uh, continuing to get wealth in a, in an unethical way and is ended up yeah. in jail. Right. Um, now I do think that got him some fame in general, <laughs> some infamy, right? right? That's yeah. what are you looking for? Fame or infamy? <laughs> so I don't know, but, yeah. um, I think that still falls into the structure of Rex to riches. Yeah. And Molly, like universally, and I'm glad because Booker writes about this as well, that those ups and downs that you're not going to have a interesting story if it goes from down to up, you know? No. And it's like, all right. So he talks about, he calls it constriction and release. Um, and uh, he says, you know, at the most basic level in a good story, we identify with the fate of a hero or, or hero, heroine, heroine. <laughs> yeah. But we share their ex- so like when we identify with them from the start, uh, we we kind of share their their experience as a story unfolds. So let's see. I, I, I'm just going to read this because I like how he puts it. So yeah, as they face right. ordeals or come under threat. So we feel tense and apprehensive, even in extreme cases, it's so terrified that we can scarcely bear to watch or listen. As the threat is lifted, we can relax. Our spirits are enlarged. In other words, along with the story's central figure, we feel a sense of either constriction or liberation or either of being like shut in and oppressed or being opened up. And so in a story that's well-constructed, he says, these phases of constriction and release alternate in a kind of systole diastole rhythm, which provides one of the greatest pleasures we get from stories. And well done. That's going to go on our quote wall. And also, what is that? But Nancy Dorte's and Matthew Lund's Shape of the Story, right? Where you're back and forth and you, I'm doing a little snake up and over and a down and an over and a down. And I think that's exactly it. There has to be back and forth because otherwise we're not interested, right? Yeah. Um, And it builds anticipation and Mm -hmm. it makes the stakes higher so that the payout is more satisfying at the end. Mm -hmm. And we're invested. So Molly, let's say there's a business listener yeah. Uh, tuning in. What, how could we put the rags to riches and what we just talked about constriction release to good use if we are in a, a presentation setting or thinking yeah. about some new pitch we're working on? I was going to say, I think we've given some good screenwriting advice, you know, yeah. unsolicited. Yeah. And now, but to make this presentation thinking connection, I think it's really cool to think about rags to riches as uh, a lot of founder stories, I think can be rags to riches. And th- again, it doesn't always have to be like, you started with zero dollars and mm-hmm. you ended up with a million. It doesn't have to be that. It's the fulfillment of a dream. It's something hitting the right audience. Mm-hmm. It's your keynote just going well, you know, and, or, you know, maybe your brand having zero awareness and now you have more, right? Like people recognize your logo or something. I think you can establish a goal and create some rags to riches, uh, narrative around it as mm-hmm. a way to hype up your team you were saying this as, yeah, the ultimate way to the ultimate hype story. And yeah. especially, I think that's why we're so interested in startups and investor, uh, watch it. Like there's the reason the shark take exists. Cause we want to see these people who very often have something that comes from an emotional need or an emotional story. They're like, my child was sick, or this was really, this was really a problem for me. And I've come up with a solution and like, will you give, you know, will you invest some money to make it help other people, right? Mm -hmm. It's often something helping people 
solve a problem, small or big or whatever it is, environmental stuff, whatever. So I think those founder stories are super great examples of rags to riches. And if you are doing any kind of, yeah, trying to get investing or uh, awareness around your brand and product, I think there's some useful tactics to apply in your deck or in your approach to think of yourself as a rat in Paris, <laughs> uh, you know, just thinking about flavors combining yes. together <laughs> and hearing little jazzy, jazzy fizzles with it. You know, I think there's something that can be connected. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, like the dark figure then could be the status quo, it, mm-hmm. the underdog story. It, the competitive they're just, noise. Yeah. They're not given much credit and no one's paying attention to them. And And I think a leader can use that to motivate their team to say, look, they're counting you out. You know, like Mm -hmm. there's this, maybe there's a a number one in the category who's resting on their laurels. They're, they're not giving you the attention you deserve. Mm -hmm. I think a a leader can use that to motivate a team very powerfully because again, it's like, we get that story. And it's like, I mean, it's the number one pump up speech in the locker room, I'm sure by coaches and, and, oh, they, you know, they're better than us. They're bigger than you. Yeah. Yeah. But you got heart, kid, yeah. whatever. We've been kicked down and we've been, you know, you've only been made stronger yeah. for it kind of thing. Yeah. Mighty Mouse. It's great. Def- definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also think a more like tactical version or example of rags to riches in the presentation thinking context is before and after slides, which for Ghost Ranch Communications, we love to show this off for potential yeah. clients, right? Is like, look, we, we got these assets given to us and then we were able to do X, Y, Z to them and then look at the like finished product. Right. And we were able to do that. And then this deck went on and won or was able to like accrue this much, um, interest and that kind of thing. And I just think there's something about seeing the before and after of anything really that people are like, Oh, cool. Yeah. That's like a really like easy satisfaction. Rags riches. Yeah. I like it. Clear example. There's a story from advertising history of Avis rental car company in the sixties, they had a, an ad that said, Avis is only number two in rental cars. So why go with us? You know? And they had this whole slogan, we try harder. Uh, And so acknowledging that you're not number one, I think there's a scrappiness. There's like this innate, okay. Like they recognize it and they're, they're working on that and they are going to try harder than the giant who's comfortable where they're at. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's an awesome, maybe we should link to some of those, any like case studies on that. I, yeah. Allie and I talk about that one all the time. We, we love it. I think that narrative can be uh, applied to a lot of the wider movement to shop small re- uh, in recent years too, yeah. to support independent and small businesses because people can buy things anywhere now. Like you can just be scrolling Instagram and someone posts something that they thrifted and they're doing this little mini side hustle. Right. And I'm like, cool, I'd rather support them than maybe just yeah. order something on Amazon. And it's exactly what I was looking for. So I think there's a cool like men shift in that mentality too, where it's like, let me go to this person and not the big company, mm-hmm. even though the company might be the person that, you know, started from a small, started from a garage or something. Yeah. I like it. Oh, the old, the good uh, old garage. I think Jeff, I think Jeff Bezos was born rich. So just, uh, that's, yeah. Right. Hey, <laughs> our guy, our guy, Larry Ellison. Um, I think he had like, I forget raised by an aunt and uncle. One of them passed away. He had to go work odd jobs in yeah. out West. Mm-hmm. And now he owns an island, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't, couldn't, wouldn't we all love to do that? I yeah. know. I love thinking, I think a lot of times the reason we end up 
liking a lot of celebrities too. Not the whole reason, but once you learn their story and their background with like these inside interviews uh-huh. and certainly autobiographies, I listed Brandy Carlisle on here cause I've read hers <laughs> and she came from this really pretty poor family with like a ton of siblings in the Pacific Northwest and, um, like went out like in the forest and just like tamed wild horses and stuff, you know? And I think, and then so coming from like getting that big break and getting connected to, the Grand Ole Opry kind of stage and, oh, yeah. um, and meeting more and more, um, names in the industry, right. Those, those brighter, bright figures that help bring you into the new world. That's an exciting story to follow. I'm also thinking of the Bohemian Rhapsody movie with queen, right. Where they were doing something totally different. They got shut down again and again. And thank God he ended up doing what he wanted. You know, Freddie Mercury is a huge legend and there was, he came from this immigrant, family in working in an airport in London mm-hmm. and telling him not to do like you're, you're not doing this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so totally. that was, yeah. um, sometimes it is just, and those are the like stories, a lack of support. even Yeah. Lack of support. And those are the stories that get made into biopics, right? Because they're like, yeah, because <laughs> we want to watch someone struggle through that. And we already love them. We're like, okay, we know you end up being successful. Right. We kind of know the ending. So we want to yeah. see, we want to see it happen. See yeah. it played out. I think another example with presentation thinking is someone uh, becoming an expert in something. I'm thinking of our friend Richard Goring. Hi, Richard, if you're listening. Uh, starting out, uh, yeah, in, in a field, just knowing that there's a solution or something deeper here with, mm-hmm. uh, in, in this case, presentation design and visual storytelling and trying new things and failing until you're an expert in your field, like reading everything there is to know about it. Mm-hmm. You do this, Mikey, come on, you know, like you, you're re- knowing all the stuff about storytelling, visual presentations and doing that until you're like, until your name is recognized. Right. Mm-hmm. Nancy Dorte, Richard Goring, mm-hmm. Michael Oh gosh. If only. <laughs> oh, flattery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that is awesome. And yeah, they stay thirsty, stay hungry, whatever it is. They, there, there's that determination and motivation within. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You just queued up maybe some awesome song ideas. So let's jump into the spice cabinet. Oh, curious yes. what uh, what are some if someone's gonna go up and give a nice little rags to riches keynote, what are some walkout songs that c- they could be thinking about spinning? Um my immediate gut reaction is a TikTok reference that I'm not sure you're gonna get, but I forget who it's hold on one second. It's uh okay, it's by Duke and, uh, Duke and Jones and Louis Thoreau. Wait, is this real? Oh my God. Okay. I didn't realize who this was by, but it's my money. Don't jiggle, jiggle. It folds. Oh my God. You know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's been a trend on TikTok and it's so goofy and so funny. And that, it was just my literal interpretation of the rags to riches. But what, what do you think, Mikey? Oh my God, Ricky Ross, you know, maybe like, is it every day I'm hustling? I, I think that could be a pump up, but I think um, LL Cool J, don't call it a comeback. You know, like that, oh, that's yeah. got a good open. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you wouldn't do us wrong with any Brandy Carlisle, the story. I mean, give us a break. Give us a break. Oh, no, Chill. that's so good. She'll put it down. She'll shut down the house. Love her. Um, I think another really classic 
dramatic theme song for Rex to Riches could be the Liza Minnelli Don't Rain on My Parade. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around the cloud to rain on my parade. Yeah. Yeah, and that is something, that's a song in the Funny Girl musical that is like a huge powerhouse. Like, it was only just revived in the last few years because so many actresses on Broadway like were said to not have the voice that Liza did because it's just this huge like thing where it's like don't tell me not to live. I'm just sitting like I'm. Tell, don't tell me how to live, and it's it's like kind of she's yelling, but she's sing, she's belting the whole time, yeah. and it's this big song. And um, anyway, I think that's a good comeback. Uh, Rags to Riches story. Yeah, dang it! Well, I'm gonna keep going. Camila yeah. Cabello yeah. Um, played the new Cinderella. Have you seen that version, by the way? No, I My haven't. Girls, it we've, good. We've, yeah, the girls we watched it. it like maybe a thousand times by now. But there's <laughs> okay. a good. They they cover like some uh, pop songs and stuff, and one mm-hmm. one of them is "Am I Wrong." And that song slaps. Uh, okay. No, that's great. I love a pop moment so much. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Okay, let's I'm think, I'm just think of another one. <laughs> I mean, Hamilton, like, he's not going to throw away his shot. Maybe that entire musical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Five Goes West, somewhere out there. Oh. Somewhere. Out there, he's such a cute little mouse. Vaguely problematic display of immigrants for sure, <laughs> but you know, I've it was a central part of my filmography as as a child. Same, we mm-hmm. just rebooted yeah. it. So good, yeah. I I'm, I've got to think of a Beyonce one. I'm I'm sure there could be some yeah. Beyonce ones that encapsulate Rex Riches. Yeah. She came from Houston, H Town. H Town. Mm-hmm. I feel like you would have watched Rookie of the Year growing up. Did you? I don't think I did. Okay. Oh, the kid sorry. like breaks his arm and then like develops like crazy arm strength and, no. and becomes like the, a Cubs pitcher or something. Oh, wow. There's no, that's, line. oh, no, I totally missed that. But I would have loved it because Woody, my dad, is a huge baseball fan. So Field of Dreams, Angels in the Outfield, those were on a loop constantly. Okay. The, um, the Rookie with Dennis Quaid, that was there. I never watched that one. <laughs> It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I have it on DVD, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend. <laughs> All right. Well, Mikey, thank you so much for reading this chapter and oh, talking yeah. to me about it. Because <laughs> It was my pleasure. This was number two. You're getting, your book is in the mail, but no, I think it, yeah, this is just fun to fuel some, uh, some ideas and yeah. Learning these templates for stories maybe it just gives you a place to start mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and then you can run with it from there so overcoming the monster rags to riches which we just talked about mm-hmm. next time we're going to talk about the quest then there's voyage and return comedy tragedy and rebirth so thanks for yeah. tuning into our seven part series on the seven basic plots why we tell stories yeah same time same place everybody let's do it keep on pitching y'all